today on Better News Radio with Pastor Ricky Elcantan. We who are married to someone who loves and knows the Lord have an opportunity to broadcast the image of God and the gospel to those around us. The husband sacrificially leading his family broadcasts something to everyone around. The wife bringing help to the husband broadcasts something powerful. And so I want to ask some questions. What about those closest to you other than your spouse, your kids? Open God, oh my soul, He is strong and He is strong to save. Open God, He's a rock in your hiding place. He's a mighty fortress. In today's teaching, Pastor Ricky will be explaining that the marriage between a man and woman is meant to symbolize the intimate union between Jesus and the church. The church is called the Bride of Christ, and we as the church are called to submit to our groom, Jesus, in the same way the wife is to submit to her own husband. The husband is called to lay down his life for his wife, just as Jesus laid down his life for the church. As we obey God's call, we will show God's love to the world through our marriage. Let's join Pastor Ricky for his continuing study entitled, A Countercultural Marriage. He says, this is to be walked out in respectful conduct and second, in pure conduct. And so essentially he's saying, instead of dissing your husband, bring respect. Now listen, there's a temptation to only bring respect when their behavior is worthy of respect in your eyes. But Peter calls for it. Now again, remember this qualifications. I'm not talking about situations of abuse or things like that. I'm talking about um, yet again, that husband did not do what you hoped he would do, whatever that is. And so you're tempted to react in a particular way. And and Peter says, no, 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 I want you to, to be respectful. I heard a pastor say once that every man craves respect in the same way that a woman craves love. Now, I think that may be overstating it some, but, but listen, guys and girls are wired differently. And so the way that women are, are kind of supported and helped by an unconditional affection and love, as is called for in Ephesians 5, men thrive when they feel they have the respect of their wives. That, that, that respect is one of the most powerful gifts that can ever be given in a marriage. So even when the the husband is struggling, Peter is encouraging them, rather than dissing them or pointing out the million things that they're doing wrong, Peter is encouraging them to come alongside the husband and say, I believe in you. I respect you. You can do this. And then, instead of impurity, Peter is calling them to purity. Now listen, it, it would surely have been a temptation for a Christian woman who's married to an unbeliever, to find emotional fulfillment elsewhere, right? You feel like this this relationship just doesn't seem like it matters as much as it did when you got married. I I could imagine women being in this place to, to look elsewhere, to begin to draw her emotions toward other men that could lead to impurity. And Peter calls her to purity, See, the world says, look, if, if this guy isn't giving you what you need emotionally or physically, then just look elsewhere. 
And Peter is encouraging these women, look, this, this is hard, but let me ask you a question. Could this be an opportunity to image the gospel to someone that doesn't know the Lord? Now, I want to stop and talk just for a minute, um, specifically to folks that find themselves married to an unbelieving spouse or may in the future. Paul provides some additional specific direction in 1 Corinthians 7. Uh, He says this, To the rest I say that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce her. But if the unbelieving partner separates, then let it be so. In such a case, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. For how, but then he adds this, for how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Essentially, he's saying this. If you find yourself in a situation like this, and they want nothing to do with you, and they won't stay, and there's nothing you can do to stop them, and they move their stuff out, and they won't answer your calls, and after a period of time of, of, of trying to reconcile, there is nothing. that The, the Lord's word says that you are, you're, you're not enslaved. But, Peter says, and Paul would say as well, if, if they will consent to live with you, if they're willing to go, listen, I know you have a different religion now, but we're gonna try to make this work somehow, he, he asks this powerful question. How do you know whether God might use you to save your spouse? Gospel proclamation is all about the word of the gospel going forward accompanied by the adorning of the gospel in our lives. And Peter asks the question, what better adorning could there be than you day after day reflecting the image of God and the picture of the gospel to someone even who does not believe, to someone who wants nothing to do with it. What does that sound like? Doesn't that sound like the way that Jesus has related to you? And Peter asks this question. So I want to encourage you. If you find yourself in this situation today, you may feel alone. Maybe in a church even that talks about marriage a bunch. Every time we bring it up, it's a painful thing. Because you know your spouse is not coming to the marriage seminar with you. God has not forgotten you. And you know how I know that? Because before time began, God intended to write a letter just to you. Some of it is in 1 Peter 3. Some of it is in 1 Corinthians. And God saw that you would need to be encouraged. That you would need a purpose. And God, really, I believe, has written this for you. You are not forgotten And the Lord will remind you, you may have one of the most powerful opportunities to preach the gospel that anyone ever gets. So take heart. Don't give up. Who knows what God would do? Now, I want to move to apply this to the rest of us. Um, This is a very specific application, but I I believe the principle can apply to all of us. Um, We who are married to someone who loves and knows the Lord, have an opportunity to broadcast the image of God and the gospel to those around us. The husband sacrificially leading his family broadcasts something to everyone around. The wife bringing help to the husband broadcasts something 
powerful. And so I want to ask some questions. What about those closest to you other than your spouse, your kids? They're going to be with you day in and day out. They're going to see you fight and reconcile. They're going to see you on your high best days and on your worst days. What message are you broadcasting over your home? Listen, you can talk to your kids, sit down with them and say, hey, this is what marriage is about. But you know what is going to make those words ring true or not is your gospel conduct with your wife or husband day after day, week after week, year after year. You have an opportunity, parents. We have an opportunity to proclaim and broadcast the gospel. Think about your extended family. Um, There is a value. Listen, there is a value Let me me say it like this. My my extended family has a lot of folks in it um, and not all of them know the Lord. Maybe your family's like that too. Um, There is a value in you and your spouse showing up to Thanksgiving dinner and sitting next to each other and holding hands, not just for two years or for three years, but for 20 years. There is, a, there is an opportunity that is opened up. I've watched this with my parents. There are opportunities that open up in your extended family when you year after year after year love your spouse. That somebody then goes, listen, things aren't going real well between my wife and I. And I just noticed that you guys have been together for like 10 years now. Is there any chance that you guys could get together with us? Don't underestimate that gospel witness. And third, I want you to think about your coworkers. And I want to encourage you uh, to honor your spouse in front of your coworkers, to speak respectfully of your husband in front of your coworkers, to express love for your wife in front of your coworkers. Um, I was talking to a Christian brother a couple years ago, and he was talking about how he went into a work environment where it seemed like the norm was that everybody at this particular work environment was flirting back and forth. And as he got into it, he understood that several current adulterous affairs were happening between people in the same work environment. And it was just part of the company culture. So I love this guy. You know what he decided to do? He decided one of the best things he could do for his workplace is to talk all the time about how much he loves his wife. And I just, I love that. So they'd be talking and some guy would be going, yeah, my wife's the worst, you know, blah, 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 blah. And then he would just interject, man, that sounds tough. I love my wife. You know why? Because she doesn't just put up with me when I'm acting nice. She loves me, and it's got to be because of Jesus. And I don't know how we're still together, but it has something to do with the Lord. You know what I mean? <laughs> and the guy's just like, okay. Like, <laughs> I love that. Don't forget the witness that your marriage can have in front of your coworkers. Um, so the charge is that what wives are to um, and, I, and I wish we could have gotten much more into the details of what this looks like, but that's not the emphasis of this passage. And I got to preach this one. So some, sometime this year, I will preach another one on some of the other stuff, but this is the one that we have, okay? So this is what we got. You have an opportunity for gospel witness. Take advantage of it. Proclaim Christ. Second, and briefly, um, an unexpected encouragement about beauty. As if the roles of men and women are not enough, uh, Peter brings up modesty. Now, there are several times in this last week that I have talked to Peter in my mind and said, Peter, sir, um, I know that you are writing the Bible and that you spent many years with Jesus, um, but 
could we at least have wives relating to their husbands and modesty in different passages so that I don't get all of the angry emails at once? We could space them out. I'd have a chance to answer them. Well, Paul, I mean, Peter takes a detour. He brings up pure con- conduct. And so he just decides, you know what? I'm going to comment on, I'm just going to talk about beauty and modesty and all that stuff while I'm in there. Like, okay. So verse three, another way that women and wives can proclaim the gospel is this. Verse three, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Now, on a basic level, this is just super clear, okay? You have external adorning and internal adorning. And Peter says, no, 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 don't go after the external, go after the internal. And he brings up, um, I don't know why, this probably isn't a big deal anymore, but hair and jewelry and clothing. Now, what's funny is in the, <laughs> in the commentaries, I read the thing, because I was like, what's with the braiding of hair? Well, apparently at this time, um, the big in thing was that women would spend hours and hours with multiple servants and friends weaving intricate braids that one commentator described at worst looked like a wet sponge and at best looked like sort of a tower of hair. Now, if you're a guy, you're going, man, I am so glad we do not live in that era. Now, what does this mean though? It means money and time and energy. And we're not in a culture that braids hair into towers anymore, thank God. But we do spend some money and time and energy on our externals. And listen, the the, the cultural definition of beauty is constantly changing. Um, But what doesn't change is that it always takes, for the most part, money and time and energy. In the ancient world, sometimes in some cultures, like in uh, the Song of Solomon, if your skin was lighter because you didn't have to work outside, and you ate, let's just say, healthy meals, since most people didn't have a lot of food, and you weren't too skinny, you were attractive. So imagine somebody kind of pale, had several meals, hearty meals. Guys in that era were like, oh yeah, what's going on over there? And it's funny, because in the Song of Solomon, she actually says, listen, you love me despite the fact that I have a tan and I'm not super healthy looking. Um, And in our culture today, if your skin is tanned, because that's a luxury since everybody works indoors, right? And if you're skinny, since eating well and working out takes time, now you're attractive. It's like a complete opposite, right? And so what doesn't change is the fact that it takes a ton of time and money and energy many times to be the cultural definition of super attractive and the culture worships that. And listen, there is a temptation to just a little bit want that, to crave that, to rejoice in that, to love that. And Peter says, no, let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Now, listen, it's not saying don't spend any time on your appearance and go unkempt and look like pig pen from peanuts, okay? (laughs) We appreciate people showering, et cetera, et cetera. Um, (laughs) Song of Solomon is super clear that uh, there, you should wear outfits that are attractive and especially that your wife or husband finds attractive. And I won't get further into the Song of Solomon or I will become in trouble very quickly. So um, clothes are not bad, okay? Please wear clothes, please shower. 
But the thing that occupies most of your energy and time and money should be your heart, the hidden person of the heart. And, and, and Peter says this, with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. See, our definitions of beauty are so tied to our culture. They will look, I will guarantee you, they will look silly in 10 years, most of them, and all of them will look silly in like 100 years. If you don't believe me, if you think powdered wigs are hot, then okay. And Peter says this, listen, listen, listen. I'm trying to help you guys. There is something that doesn't fade. There's something you don't have to spend money on for plastic surgery, something that doesn't change because of sickness or disfigurement or age, and it is this type of beauty. It is the beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Now, this isn't just mean that you, you're always, oh, yes, husband. You know, you have like a weird, constantly soft voice, and you're going like this all the time when he's coming in the door. <laughs> like a... This is also referred to in the Sermon on the Mount. It, it means someone that is not brash and loud, constantly drawing attention to themselves. It is a quiet self-confidence that is focused more on others than on itself. See, external beauty draws eyes to itself for itself, but internal beauty draws eyes upward and outward. I, I fell in love with my wife, I think, on a three-hour bus ride on the way to a singles conference. Um, I happened, I'd known her a little bit. I thought she was cute. And so I happened to sit next to her on this bus, happened to. And um, <laughs> on, on the bus ride, though, she kind of opened up and told me her life story. And she had, uh, if you guys know her story, she had a very difficult childhood in many ways. And, and God helped her and sustained her. And she was sharing how she wanted to help other people. Um, and I thought she was beautiful, but... That story is what made me fall in love with her because I could see she cared a lot more about God and a lot more about other people than she cared about the boy sitting in front of her. And, and, and Peter says there's a beauty to that and it's a real beauty. And, and it goes further in saying this kind of beauty in God's sight is very precious. Look, you, you can have the adoration of a thousand likes on Instagram. You can turn heads at the gym, but ultimately it's fleeting. But God, who created you and loves you, counts it immeasurably precious when you pursue this kind of beauty. Uh, I grew up with three sisters, and often, you know, as little girls do, they wanted to know if they were pretty that day. If they had a princess outfit on or some other, out, some other like, kid dress-up thing. And there was one person that if he said they were pretty, it made their day, and they didn't care what anybody else thought. It was my dad. My dad loved them. And if they had his approval, they didn't care what their friends said. And guys, in the same way, as daughters of the Lord, I want to encourage you. The Lord loves you. He delights in you as a daughter. And you don't have to have the attention or affection of a boy or some loser on Instagram or Facebook thinking you're pretty, if your heavenly father believes that you're beautiful, you believe it. And you long for that and you pursue that and you treasure that. So ask yourself, is your adorning external or internal? What gets more of your time and energy and money? Do you spend more time? This is my wife's question. Do you spend more time in front of the mirror or in front of your Bible? 
Do you invest money in your appearance, but never in godliness, never in giving to others or blessing others or mission work? Do you find yourself asking others about their opinion of your experience? appearance often? Or do you find yourself wondering what they think about your experience, uh, your appearance? Now, just because I'm I'm just going to go there in the last two minutes, worship team, um, you you need to come up now in case this goes south and you need to just start playing a song. But (laughs) in my last two minutes, I'm going to do modesty. Okay. We're just going to go there. Who wants to go there? I'm just, let's just go there. Um, In our culture, Christian women um, are standing against a constant push toward immodesty. Um, There is no way that you cannot be affected by this. Um, Here's why. Guys are visually oriented. Second, this is an especially visually oriented age. And third, this is an especially sexualized age. And so if you think it has no bearing on the way that you dress, if there's no cultural pool, I would kind of beg to differ. Now, I have to acknowledge that modesty is in many ways tied to the culture. Look, beyond forbidding nudity, there is no standard of modesty for all cultures in all places in all times, right? Victorian England is different than our time. Our time is different from certain areas of Africa. But I think the Bible does provide basic help. And this passage in particular provides basic help. And and this is the help. The focus must be on your heart. And you need to be honest about what you're wearing and why. Often it's a choice. Often this this is the question. Do I want to draw eyes to my body or to my character? So much of modesty comes down to that. Do I want people to be looking at my body or my character? And again, remember, refer back to qualification 328, please shower, please dress. You know, I'm not talking about just trying to look unattractive, but with that one particular dress, do you get a few more guys checking you out and a free drink at Starbucks? Does that one guy in the office spend a little bit more time at your cubicle? Do you want to draw people? Listen, this is inevitable. You will draw people somewhere. Where will you draw them to? To the Lord? To yourself? I want to just say that, listen, this is also where good Christian community can help. Uh, This requires a lot of humility. Uh, This isn't helped within the Christian community by pronouncements like two peeth bathing suits were designed specifically by Satan for the destruction of the world. But friends, we we need each other here in this area. We need other Christian sisters to be able to give you input. We need your family, because we can all be deceived. Hope in God, oh my soul. He is strong and he's strong to save. Hope in God, he's a rock and you hide in something that many people have little of, and yet we clamor for the latest this or that, believing that our longing for hope will be fulfilled. Pastor Ricky will be teaching through the book of 1 Peter here on Better News Radio. We'll learn that hope is something that is beyond this world, and that our lives will become holy once we hope in the eternal. For more information, email us at radio at betternewsradio.com. 
Sometimes it is just easier to call. Our phone number is 915-562-7100. We'll be happy to help you. Again, that number to call is 915-562-7100. You can learn more about Better News Radio, Cross of Grace Church, and Pastor Ricky at our website, betternewsradio.com. All of Pastor Ricky's messages through the Bible are available to listen to or download for free at betternewsradio.com. That's betternewsradio.com. You'll also find contact information, driving directions to the church, and details about activities and upcoming events on our website. We also encourage you to follow the Better News Radio Twitter feed at Cross of Grace EP, where Ricky tweets additional thoughts about the messages you hear on Better News Radio. Or connect with us on Facebook at Cross of Grace EP. Well, that's all the time we have for today. From all of the production team here at Better News Radio, we want to say thank you for tuning in and please make plans to join us again for the next edition of Better News Radio. Better News Radio.